With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Beyond the Arc. My name is Kevin O'Connor. Today I'm bringing on the ringers Michael Pino. We're going to preview NBA free agency in the offseason ahead, and then I'm going to take some of your questions at the end of the show. But first, let's talk about the eight teams with cap space and who their number one target should be. Let's bring on Michael Pino. Welcome to today's episode of Beyond the Arc. My name is Kevin O'Connor, and joining me this week is the ringers Michael Pino. Michael, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing terrific. Kevin, how are you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. We're going to talk about NBA free agency, look at the article you wrote in The Ringer, talk about a bunch of other teams, some of the key teams, teams with cap space. Let's start off there. The San Antonio Spurs, Michael, they get the number one pick. They get Victor Wembenyama. They also have $38.6 million in cap space. So the key for them this offseason is using that cap money to build around Wemby, build around Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson, Sohan, City Sissoko, their second-round pick. Who would be your top target for the Spurs this offseason? My number one free agency target would be Fred VanVleet for the San Antonio Spurs. And the rationale behind that, despite him being 29 years old, despite him having a lot of, uh, a lot of miles on his body and being a little undersized, being a little inefficient, understand all of those caveats. But I just think that giving Victor Wembanyama a reliable professional point guard for the first two, three, four years of his career can only benefit him and make his life easier on the offensive end where I think... Um, it'll take a little bit more time for him to adjust to the NBA than on the defensive end where he'll be very good right away, presumably. And just being having a table setter for all of those ancillary pieces that you mentioned, Sohan, um, uh, Devin Vassell, uh, Keldon Johnson. I just think that Fred Van Fleet fits in really well with them. And uh, yeah, why can't they make the play in right away with a guy like Fred Van Fleet, who's just a proven winner. So I think that if you're trying to establish a positive culture, if you're trying to get a professional in your locker room, a role model figure, a competitor just makes a lot of sense to me. I think Van Vliet does make a lot of sense for for the Spurs, considering all the circumstances you're talking about. If they can't get him, you know, maybe go for multiple guys, uh, uh, you know, a lower end free agent that you feel like maybe give him a bigger role, a Shake Milton type, go for a Grant Williams, a restricted free agent like that. And the thing with Van Vliet is, you know, Mark Stein reported on Wednesday that the Rockets are expected to offer him a two year contract worth eighty three million dollars. So that would exceed what the Spurs can do annually and the Houston Rockets they're in a position right now where they have over 60 million dollars in cap space and so for them whether it's Van Vliet you know or being the team that makes a big offer sheet to an Austin Reeves to see what the Lakers do Mm -hmm. somebody like that it would be interesting for Houston but who do you think their, their top target should be I mean to be honest with you if I was running Houston I would let my rebuild be a little bit more organic and I would take on like bad salary. I would still be doing that with my cash space. I'm with you. And I understand why they're not going to. They're they have impatient ownership. They just <laughs> hired Ime Udoka and presumably they told him we're trying to win right away. Uh, their first round pick is top four protected going to the Oklahoma City Thunder. So they have incentive to win right now. Um, I wouldn't care if I was running things, but with what their plan is, presumably, I would just throw a max at Chris Middleton. Why not? Uh, I think he is on a talent level and in just in terms of what he's accomplished in the NBA, arguably the best player available, even though everyone thinks and all reports indicate he's going to re-sign with the Milwaukee Bucks. But if the Bucks are not willing to give him the max, which uh, maybe they aren't, who knows? Um, Houston could come in and steal him. Uh, and I, I know that that definitely doesn't fit any 
logical timeline there. But if the mandate is make the play in, maybe even make the playoffs as an eight seed, uh, Middleton makes a lot of sense to me and he can stabilize you a little bit on both ends, particularly in crunch time on the offensive end where the Houston Rockets were just like an absolute disaster last season. Oh, I mean, hopefully Amen Thompson helps there, their rookie number four draft pick in the first round. But I think you're right in terms of what their intentions seem to be, which is to add some veteran help. I wouldn't do that either. We're on the same page there. I mentioned, you know, go for Austin Reeves. I think if you go for an Austin Reeves and you give him the $100 million offer sheet and the Lakers mm-hmm. match that, it accomplishes two things. You screw the Lakers by making them max match that offer to get them a bigger salary. But also you can say to ownership, Hey, we tried, we tried for something. And then maybe you're just in a position where like the Utah jazz, you just take on some big salary, continue with your youth movement. And speaking of the jazz, they're going to have anywhere between 12 to $28 million in cap space, depending on what happens with Jordan Clarkson. He has a player option for next season. That's due on Thursday night with his decision there. Utah takes on John Collins. You know, they have what I thought was one of the best draft classes. They get Keontae George, Taylor Hendricks, Bryce Sensabaugh. The Jazz really added like a mixture of versatile defense and perimeter shot creation around Lowry Markinen and Walker Kessler and that core that they already have. But now they get a little bit of money to play with. Who's your number one target? I like Bruce Brown here. Uh, you know, in an ideal world, Bruce Brown stays in Denver, um, and just kind of spends the rest of his career, the rest of his prime there and (laughs) can make up the money on the back end. But what's more likely to happen is since he opted out, he, if, you know, a team like Utah comes in with a, a huge offer, he could be gone. And if I'm the jazz, what I love about their situation is they don't, care about being good now, despite the fact that they just uh, to last offseason traded Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. They don't care because they have they, all they can't this help draft it. capital. They can't help but be good or competitive. <laughs> exactly. So why not add a ball handler, balance out my roster a little bit, someone who can run pick and roll with John Collins, Lowry Markkinen, Walker Kessler, someone who can defend up a position when they, the Jazz go a little bit smaller and maybe Will Hardy wants to switch some more. Um, Lowry held up pretty good on switches last year. John Collins has in the past in his career done okay. So I just think Bruce Brown as energy, as hustle, someone who actually was hitting the three ball last year, someone who showed up and won finals games, like just a a real competitor. And I think that honestly, if you start him in your backcourt with Colin Sexton, there's just a very unpleasant duo for any team to go up against. So I just like Bruce Brown in Utah. I mean, as you're talking through, you know, a potential outcome for the Jazz this offseason, if they get a Bruce Brown or somebody that provides that versatile defense you're talking about, they, they're they're one of the handful of teams, you know, Oklahoma City, Orlando being two of the others that have the ability to play with immense size like they could go with a front court that features Taylor Hendricks who's 6'8 6'9 Lowry Markinen Walker Kessler and then have a big backcourt or let's say they do get Bruce Brown you could go with that smaller backcourt you could have Bryce Mm -hmm. Sensible out there as a go-to scorer Keontae George Bruce Brown defending up a position you can play small you can play super fast and versatile or you can play massively and still have you know skill on the floor with all the perimeter shooting that those guys have so I think Utah They're one of those teams that's kind of moving in that direction. I mentioned Oklahoma City. They're another team with cap space. They have about $18 million in cap space this offseason. They have Chet Holmgren coming back. They just drafted Wallace in the lottery, adding him to a backcourt with Shea Gillis-Alexander and Jalen Williams. They're Josh Giddy. I mean, they have so much young talent. But with that cap space, I wonder, will they go in more of a, a youth direction or trying to add a veteran to support some of those younger players? What do you think they should do? Well, you know who I got here because I sent you all my picks before, but Brooke Lopez, baby. Just like go humongous with Brooke and Chet in the front court. Give yourselves. Am I being hyperbolic if I say this would be or could be the best defense in the NBA next season? No, you're not. You're not. But they could be. Uh, Chet's awesome. He's going to be awesome right away on defense. Right. So you have a ton of size. I think that that team could make the playoffs. I think maybe you could be competitive in the playoffs when around if SGA goes nuts, if Jalen 
uh, takes a leap, if Giddy makes a leap as he's expected to do in year three, like I, I think that Blurk Lopez is just so interesting because when he's healthy, of course, he's a defensive player of the year candidate, amazing rim protector, but then also someone who can space at the five, which is what they would ideally want slash need um, with SGA being this guy who's just downhill, get to the free throw line, et cetera. So I, I think that would be a really fun um, outside the box addition for Oklahoma City. And I think they could make a leap as an organization if they added someone like Brooke Lopez. I just wonder, like somebody, somebody's got to be making a big offer for Brooke Lopez. There's only one Brooke Lopez. There's only one guy who's a defensive player of the year caliber guy, all defensive player caliber guy who can also space the floor on three and punish teams inside and rebound. I mean, Brooke, he's a one of one and he's perfect next to a Chet Holmgren or even San Antonio for that matter, putting him next to Victor Wembanyama. Mm -hmm. I I just wonder who's, which team is going to make that competitive offer that actually makes him think, you know what? I have no choice but to leave the Bucks, or they have to offer me significantly more to stay here. Another team that I would be curious about along those same lines is the Sacramento Kings. They they dump salary on draft night. They now have over $30 million in cap space. There's been rumblings of them going after Draymond Green, Kyle Kuzma. I'm intrigued by them. Um, I'm intrigued by a Brooke Lopez. Uh, I think they have a number of different options that they should explore with that space. Uh, who, who's on your mind for the top target for the Kings? I think it would be really interesting if they just kind of overpaid for Grant Williams. Mm. Like there's rumors, as you said, about them wanting Draymond Green, but instead of what about adding just a less expensive, younger, defensive minded forward who can. Also shoot threes, which really works in that offense and would complement DeMontis Sabonis, I think, really well. Uh, Obviously, Grant Williams is not as accomplished as Draymond Green, but they need a defensive upgrade in their front court. They need a little bit more versatility. I think Grant would fit really well, and he's the type of piece who I think any team in the league should want, whether you're trying to go from bad to good or you're a championship contender trying to go over the top or you're trying to go from good to great. Um, I think that that which is where Sacramento kind of is right now. I think that he can make life easier for everyone around him. He's obviously a really great locker room fit and he's on the timeline with where they are right now as an organization. So I wouldn't like think it would be crazy for them to just kind of overpay and it would probably be a shorter term deal, just something to make it so the Celtics do not match. I think Sacramento would be a really interesting fit for him. I think Grant Williams is one of those under the radar free agents, even though people know his name. I'm not sure people know about his, you know, upside in a situation that really feeds him, you know, 30 plus minutes a game every single night. He's a 40% guy from three. He's versatile on defense. You know, I, I just think Grant Williams also like looking back at what he was at Tennessee in college, he's got some playmaking skill. I'd be curious about him as a, you know, he can share the floor with DeMontis Sabonis as a guy spacing the floor, cutting the basket. But if Sabonis isn't on the floor, I think Grant Williams could be a guy who could be in that dribble handoff role. He's got playmaking 100%. skill. And, and I think for Sacramento, He's more of a of a of a he's a better fit alongside all their existing pieces than Kuzma is. In my opinion, I get the Kuzma appeal. They've wanted him for years when he was on the Lakers. They were trying for the Buddy Heald trade. Didn't happen. I think Kuzma, as much as I like him, is not an ideal fit. Grant Williams should be the guy there. I think Grant fits a lot of different teams. You know, you got in the Eastern Conference, the Indiana has 30 million plus dollars in cap space. Detroit does as well. Both of those teams make some sense to me uh, for Grant Williams as well. Starting with Indiana, $32 million in cap space. Who comes to mind to you for their best fit? This is pie in the sky, uh, but Draymond Green just, you know, uh, completely change what your expectations are as an organization. Obviously, you're going to pay Tyrese Halliburton the max extension right now, but Draymond at the four, it's a positional need, I think, for them. They don't really have much uh, size in the front court in terms of, uh, you know, wing forward type of versatility on the defensive end. So he gives it right there. And then you can go small with Draymond at the five, Halliburton, as your point, and just be one of the smartest passing teams in the NBA. Play super fast 
And I don't know. I just, I really love it for them. And then obviously they drafted Jairus Walker um, in the first round. Let Draymond be like his, mm-hmm. his mentor, you know, right yeah. away. I'm intrigued. Uh, I mean, like you said, pie in the sky, very unrealistic. It feels like for Detroit, that'd be more likely if they really wanted to, you know, go pedal to the metal and accelerate things around Cade and all their guys, you know, Cam Johnson, you know, we both agree, you know, you told me ahead of time with Cam that he's the realistic target for the Pistons. All reports say that he's a guy that they're going to go after as well. I think for Detroit, that makes sense. And then for the magic, they have over $20 million in cap space, Who's your top target for them? It's going to be a shooter. I would imagine they have to get more shooting around all their guys. Yeah. It's Max Drews from the Miami heat. Like just throw money at Max Drews. I think that, uh, in terms of his actual accuracy, his three point percentage, it isn't where you would think it is based on his reputation, but for a team that just needs space, he's perfect. Like you can run actions for him. You could just have him spot up. Teams are going to respect him. Teams are going to guard him. And he could have a bounce back season easily and shoot over 40% from behind the three-point line also. So I think what he showed in the postseason, their run as a two-way player, smart, uh, smart veteran, and just someone who can contribute in a lot of different ways. He just makes a lot of sense as an accentuating piece for all the young talent that they have there. All right, now let's talk about teams that can use the mid-level exception. This is a tool that teams over the salary cap can utilize if they're under the luxury tax. There's 12 teams that have it. We'll talk about some of those. The Hawks, Nets, Hornets, Cavs, Mavs, Lakers, Grizzlies, Wolves, Knicks, Blazers, Raptors, Wizards. Those are the 12 teams of all those 12, Michael. The one that everybody's talking about the most right now is the Portland Trailblazers. Obviously, with all the the Damian Lillard trade rumors, he has a meeting earlier in the week. They're committed to trying to build a winner around him. I've heard, you know, they're shopping Yusuf Nurkic around. I've heard they want to pursue Draymond Green, that that interest is, you know, supposedly real. I just... I don't think it necessarily makes a lot of sense because they'd also have to move Anthony Simons. So you're telling me to make space for Draymond Green, you're moving Nurkic and Simons into space and getting only draft picks back. My impression is this is more about signaling effort to Damian Lillard that, hey, we're trying to build a winner more than anything else. I don't think it's realistic. It's a thread the needle proposition for sure. Um, I think there are potentially trades out there, especially with with Simons. I think that he has value um, given his age, given his upside skill set. Totally. And the contract, which is not exorbitant. So I think you could get something, um, a more experienced player who better fits you as just in terms of complimenting Dame on the defensive end. Um, You know, I, I wrote a column for The Ringer earlier this week and I propose just a straight Simons for Isaiah Stewart swap. Mm -hmm. And I think people will look at that and kind of scoff potentially, but it's less about like, are you getting back the most value for Anthony Simons? than are you getting someone who makes sense on your team? That's trying to win right now. And they need size. Every team needs size on the Western conference because of Jokic, but like you need more size if you're the Portland trailblazers. And the other part of it is upgrading at the five position. I think that'll be kind of hard, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't know what Yusuf Nurkic's value is right now on that contract. It's low. Very, 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 very low. Yeah. Zero, it's actually. It's low. I was trying to be nice. But he also just gets hurt a lot. Uh, can't stay healthy. I think that you know their defense has actually been pretty good when he's been on the court the past few seasons. But again, can't stay healthy, not really reliable. So getting a little bit more rim protection would be ideal. I mean, if you can get like a Clint Capella type, that would be perfect. Mm. But I just, you know, the player that comes from the players that I listed in my column, Daniel Gafford, uh, uh, Mitchell Robinson. These are the types that I think they should be targeting because they, they, they make sense. Um, in Portland, where a team that just hasn't been able to protect the paint at all for the past few years. Um, yeah, so it's 
it's just going to be really difficult uh, if you're not willing to give up on or move on from Scoot before he plays a game. They're not doing uh, that. No way. No, they're no not. Chance. They're not doing yeah. Scoot, and they're not moving Shade and Sharp. So these are kind of the two pieces that you have to dangle around. Maybe you change the protections on your first-round pick that's going to Chicago so you can open things up and move more future first. That seems like an ideal first step for them as they try to, to get better. But... Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be tough for them to, to pull this off. I personally think it's worthwhile, though. I would like to see Dame stay in Portland. Um, I would like to see what Scoot can bring as a rookie if he's like, oh, this guy might win Rookie of the Year. That's great. Um, Shaden Sharp could make a leap. You re-sign Jeremy Grant. You re-sign Matisse Thibel. I think you could have something there. I don't know. Maybe I'm naive. My theory is that the Blazers want to go with the two timelines approach and take this into January, February, and then reassess. Because by that point, maybe you're in a position where it's not just Miami, it's not just Brooklyn that are on his list. These teams that are willing to go with all-in offers. Maybe by that point, you have a you know surprise team. You know, Utah, we're the two seed. OKC, we're the four seed. Let's really you know push forward and cash in some of these picks. At that point, maybe you you know you say screw it to Dame's list and you just take the best offer. You know, you mentioned all the size that they need minnesota has a surplus of size you know they have the mid-level exception this year they have a little bit of wiggle room but they have 90 million dollars committed to rudy gobert carl anthony towns and Nas reed after re-signing him to a three-year contract i've heard minnesota's telling teams that cat's not available every other team does think he is available <laughs> with carl anthony towns is there kind of a a dream fit you have for him if they were to trade him you know from both sides you know, the team that I, I have listed in my column that I mentioned was the Los Angeles Clippers. I agree. And I think that Norm Powell, Marcus Morris, and whatever first, I don't even, whatever first you can give up, um, give it up. And You're not giving Paul he, George if you're the Clippers? Are you willing to give George up if Minnesota demands him? No. Mm. I, I personally would not. Okay. Um, I know this will be very expensive. Um, and that's kind of the, the reason why if I'm Minnesota and the reason why everyone around the league assumes that they're going to have to move him is like, just look at the contract after next season. It is, it goes up. It's 39. I think now it goes up in mid forties, high forties right away. So, uh, so yeah, I think the only team or one of the only teams that would be willing to, to pay is the one owned by Steve Ballmer, one of the richest men men in the world. <laughs> um, and I wouldn't give up Paul George for the simple reason that if I'm willing to pay and just pay through the nose, as the Phoenix Suns have decided to do with their roster, um, I just want to be as good as possible. I mean, it sounds really reductive. I just want to be as good as possible. Like I want Paul George. I want Kawhi Leonard. I want Cat. I will be the favorite to win the title, I think, if that all happens. They'll, they'll so, be your favorite every year. <laughs> the Clippers until, until they you're actually talking to me. Yes. do. Yeah, I mean, I think for them, they, they should be aggressive. I don't know if you know that's acceptable for Minnesota, considering his upside as a player. I'm intrigued by, like, let's say the Warriors either this summer or midseason say, you know what, we'll flip Chris Paul in a non-aggregate deal, which would allow them to use his salary for uh -huh. a cat, Ask you know salary player you know then they have Kaminga and Moody these younger players that a team like Minnesota could want to have around growing with Anthony Edwards and their other youth or Brooklyn you know they have Ben Simmons he has two years left on his salary in theory Ben Simmons with Rudy Gobert would not be the best offensive fit unless you think about it like you know you have Simmons running dribble handoffs he's healthy he's locking down on the perimeter defensively Gobert protecting the rim and Nasri can be the guy who spaces for you either of those teams Brooklyn Golden State I think are my you know dream world fits for Carl Anthony Towns but ultimately uh it's kind of hard to find a fit for him you know in terms of centers I do wonder about you know we heard DeAndre Ayton according to Mark Stein, was involved with trade talks for the Dallas Mavericks. They have their mid-level. You know, they drafted Derek Lively with their lottery pick. I wouldn't imagine that they're in on, you know, rim-running, rim-protecting centers at this point. But, you know, they seem to be targeting centers, or they were at one point. I wonder now where they turn their attention with their mid-level. What do you think the Dallas Mavericks should be prioritizing? Wow, that's a really good question. I mean... 
when I saw that they were interested in Clint Capella also didn't surprise me and, you know, not being willing to give up Josh Green for him. I, I understand that is something that I would take a longer look at personally. I, I, I like Josh Green a lot. I like his upside. I thought he had a really good year and he's obviously a lot cheaper, a lot younger. I just think Clint Capella is kind of the ideal big that you want next to Luca. And if assuming you bring back Kyrie Irving also, like that makes a lot of sense in just a pick and roll heavy offense. Like um having shooters, having a role man, like that's the that's the key right there for this team with Luca. And we've seen how much success offensively the Hawks have had with Trey Young using that recipe. I think it would be even better uh in Dallas. So that that just makes a lot of sense to me, adding a piece like that. Ayton did also make a lot of sense to me if you were going to treat him the same way. Defensively, it's a little less consistent. Um, on the glass on both ends, also a little less consistent than what Clint Capella would bring. But size is just kind of like the name of the game right now, I think, for a lot of teams that are trying to look are looking at the Denver Nuggets and like how can we how can we beat this team? You mentioned Clint Capella, his fit with Trey Young in Atlanta. They had, you know, what I think is a fascinating offseason so far. They drafted Kobe Bufkin in the middle of the first round. He's interesting. You know, I talked about this with Kyle Mann on the draft show because he's an elite off-ball guy. And Quinn Snyder and some of those Hawks players have talked about the motion concepts that he wants to install. You bring him in, you trade John Collins, that opens up more playing time for Okongwu at center, Jalen Johnson, who's, you know, more of your DHO, versatile center, be good in the kind of a motion system. It, it, it feels like every decision that the front office is making this offseason points to Quinn Snyder. You know, we're going to play with motion. Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, you guys have to adapt. Is that your impressions as well? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think money is kind of like the driving factor in Atlanta, <laughs> more so than what I'm getting on the court, honestly. Like, I don't know if they're necessarily all done with you know, long-term getting off of this money. Like, I don't know how much DeJounte Murray is going to come. He's extension eligible. I don't know how much he's going to command or if they're going to be super pumped about being the team that signs him to a contract or if they feel they need to because of what they gave up to get him. So I just... Three first-round picks they gave up to get DeJounte Murray. (laughs) And for context, the Celtics gave up a protected pick and one of the first, right? I mean, what a difference. Yeah, they gave up a lot. Um but then also you have just guys who are, you know, frankly, a little overpaid. Mm. Uh, DeAndre Hunter on his long-term contract. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of his, but last season he didn't kind of take the step that I thought he would. And maybe he just isn't the right aesthetic fit with Trey and DeJounte, um, just in terms of how he plays. And maybe he needs to be in a situation where he holds the ball a lot more. And maybe Quinn Snyder understands that. Maybe they stagger a little bit more and they give the ball to DeAndre and everything works out. Um, but you mentioned all of the young pieces too. I think these guys deserve more playing time. And I think maybe the organization should take like a just like a, an understanding that we're not going to win the title. We're not going to go in a deep playoff run right now. So let's let a Kung Wu cook, AJ Griffin, Jalen Johnson. Let's see if let's give Kobe Bufkin minutes as a rookie. Let's see what, how it looks. And then I think you have some tough questions for yourself as an organization with Trey Young, right? Like that's the kind of the elephant in the room here. Is this your franchise player? Is this who you want to build around? Is this the direction? Uh, is this your leader as you go forward on his massive contract? So I think they have a lot of questions right now. And, uh, I think like financially just their inability or unwillingness to pay the luxury tax is kind of telling for me about where they want to be and where they're headed right now. I mean, I think this is the prove it year for Trey Young in the eyes of Quinn Snyder and that Hawks front office because, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, you're right. Like salary is a factor with some of their decisions, but I think like those draft picks, you know, they and also the existing young guys on the roster and Quinn Snyder's history in Utah, all of that points to, hey, Trey, you can't be a zero 
when the ball's not in your hands. You know, you can't just be spot up guy from the logo. You need to be moving like you did in college at Oklahoma. He has that in him. I have belief in him that he can do that. This is the year I think he's going to have to prove that. And, you know, Quinn Snyder, you know, the Jazz and Hawks didn't play much over the years, but anytime they did, Snyder was attack, 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 attacks, you know, Trey Young on defense. I think he got better, (laughs) you know. Latter half of the season, he was putting in effort. Uh, to me, this is the prove it year for Trey Young. And otherwise, maybe by next deadline or next offseason, we're talking, you know, trades with Trey Young. Right now, this has been a weird week. Last thing on these mid level teams, Brian Windhorst goes on the radio this week and he says, you know, there's speculation. There's some outlandish stuff out there. He doesn't want to tease too much, but he said, just go on social media and see what you see in regards to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Michael, are the Cavs up to something big? What's going on? You know, what's Wendy talking about? (laughs) Uh, Wendy knows more than I do. Um, (laughs) More than all of us. (laughs) Yeah, obviously, you know, they have the non-taxpayer mid-level to spend. Um, They have, you know, Jared Allen had a disappointing uh, postseason first round where he was manhandled by uh, Mitchell Robinson on the offensive glass. And that was a big reason that they lost that series. Um, I don't know if they are necessarily ready or sh- they should move on from Jared Allen. They had the best defense in the NBA last season and primarily because he was a fantastic rim protector for them alongside Evan Mobley. I don't think they won't necessarily want to make Evan Mobley their full time five either. That's just not good for his body right now. So I don't know what it is. Uh, getting a wing who can shoot threes. Uh, we talked about Max Struess. You know, if they offer the mid-level, it will the Miami Heat be like, okay, we'll also pay you $12 million, $13 million with bird rights, whatever it is. Like, I I don't know. Um, Three-point shooting wings, though, are, are what they need, and I think that they can get a lot better if they just add that one piece. But I don't know what big moves that they have. I don't know if flexibility, how flexible they are to make those moves because they gave up all their assets to get Donovan Mitchell. Like, this is kind of their team. Would you trade Mitchell? Uh, Would you think about I mean, it? You know? Would it be at least on your on your table of options? I'm not shopping him. For sure, I'm not not doing that. You're listening. You tell me what I'm. You tell me what I'm getting back. Jalen Brown. Uh, I'm, I'm the Celtics. I'm calling and offering you Jalen Brown, who's expiring in one year for your expiring in two years. Are you thinking about it? Wow, uh, you're putting me on the spot there. That's a very interesting. You're thinking about it. Interesting... I can tell you're thinking about it. <laughs> oh, you got to think about it. Yeah. Um, very interesting proposition. I think for both teams. Um. I guess like what you're thinking about if you're the Celtics is are we – like what is our defensive identity right now as a team? Because I don't think we're going to be able to switch everything like as we have done of the past few seasons with Marcus Smart going out and Chris Dasperzik is coming in. So maybe we can afford to uh, go down a level with our wing defense and up a level with our offensive dynamism – with Mitchell in exchange for Jalen, knowing that we have this size and this rim protection behind him. I don't know. Um, I think Donovan Mitchell is a little bit better. So that that's really interesting. And if obviously if you are Cleveland, you're banking on Jalen Brown being like your wing stopper and someone who can consistently knock down spot up threes also, but you know, do a lot more for you offensively as the primary scoring option. But ultimately I think neither team would say yes to this, but it is interesting. When we're back, we'll talk about some under the radar free agents. All right, Michael, we just saw Bruce Brown help win a ring for the Denver Nuggets. You know, he has the big offensive board late in the game to have the go ahead points for Denver in game five. You know, he has an outstanding playoff run. I feel like if you're Denver right now, you got to be feeling like, okay, I don't think there's anybody making moves yet that, you know, make us really worried, but there's still free agency to go. There's still more trades to come. I want to 
feed some under the radar free agents that I have on my mind to you that could help a contending team. Let's start off with Io Dosunmu from the Chicago Bulls. Similar dimensions to Bruce Brown, six foot four, two hundred pounds, similar playing style, smart cutter. He's made sixty nine percent of his unassisted layups. He also, like Bruce Brown, had a game winning put back layup this season, played point guard in college, but has had to adapt. You know, he needs a reliable jumper like Bruce Brown. He's a good, versatile defender. It's like checking the boxes up and down. Iodo Sunmu feels like a guy to me that teams, you know, should be pursuing on the cheap to try to take him from the Bulls. Super interesting player, tough player, two way player, has size, um, had experience running point for them last year. And I think he did an okay job. If not, you know, the role was a little big for him. But obviously getting better, too, and contributed right away out of college. I thought that was really impressive to see. Um, Great stat by you about his ability to finish at the rim. That's very attractive. If he can knock down, at the end of the day, like if you can guard your man, guard your yard, and knock down open threes, then you have value. Um, And he can do a little bit more than that, too. So if he was consistent behind the three-point line, spotting up, maybe shooting in motion a little bit, um, and then obviously demanding hard closeouts, attacking, getting downhill, making things happen. For sure, I could see him in the rotation of a very, very good team. Shake Milton, another guy from the Sixers. He's been, you know, a pretty, you know, steady rotation guy in the back of the Sixers bench on and off, you know, under Doc Rivers. I think with him, 6'5", solid on defense, good finisher at the basket, makes 44% of pull-up mid-range shots in his career, 39% of threes off the catch throughout his career. And with Shake Milton, you know, there's been reports this week from Kyle Newbeck, who's a great Sixers beat reporter. He said, Shake wants a bigger role. And, you know, I think you look earlier this season during a stretch when James Harden was out, eight straight games, he plays 38 minutes per game. He averages 21 points, six assists, five rebounds on superb efficiency. Shake just feels like at worst, he's going to be a solid rotation guy as he has been for years with the Sixers at best. You know, I mentioned him for San Antonio earlier. Maybe he ends up, you know, being a lot more than that. I like Shake Milton. Yeah, I think you might be a little bit higher on him than I am. But for everything you said uh, and for everything I said before about Aodosumu, like if you can knock down open threes and if you can guard your man, if you can be a little dynamic with the ball in your hands, then you're going to get minutes in the playoffs. Doc Rivers obviously did not think that he was good enough to get minutes in the playoffs last year, particularly for a team that could have used a little more athleticism, I thought. Um, So, yeah, I think like, I think, San Antonio is maybe a better fit or a team that is looking to develop and get someone on the cheap. Um, that's probably a better spot for him. Maybe I could be wrong, but I would, I, I think I would I'd more likely to see him get minutes on a team like that than a contender or a team that wants to win the title. What do you think about PJ Washington from Charlotte? Cause I, I'm, I love PJ Washington to me, you know, you had him in your column earlier this week as a potential trade target guy, sign and trade possibility, six, seven, small ball, five versatile on defense and on offense. I don't know, Michael, I feel like PJ is one of those guys. He goes to a new team and suddenly, you know, he's a key factor on a playoff team. Yeah. I don't think anyone really watched the Charlotte Hornets last year, (laughs) which I can't, I can't blame you if you didn't, uh, PJ Washington is a nice player. He's a very attractive restricted free agent and they just drafted Brandon Miller. So presumably if you threw an offer at him, I don't know if Charlotte's going to match it. Uh, So there's real value here. A lot of upside. I love his minutes as a backup five, small ball five. Those were very interesting to me and something that I think a good team could explore if you get him, but just size shooting, um, He's a good, solid NBA player who's not old. (laughs) Um, So I think if a good team can get him in the door, uh, maybe, you know, obviously via sign and trade would be a a very interesting path there. Um, He could become someone that a lot more NBA fans become aware of very quickly, I think. I want to give you a a little pop quiz here, Uh, a little stat from Second Spectrum. There are four players this past season, Michael, 
that logged over 900 plays as the screener in the pick and roll and over 100 plays as the ball handler in the pick and roll. Four players. P.J. Washington is one of those four. Any guesses on who the other three are? I would say Jokic. That's correct. Giannis. Nope. Ah. <laughs> um, all my momentum is gone. I, 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 I need <laughs> hints, or you got to just tell me. The most improved player, Lowry Markkinen. And uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, Julius Randle of the New York Knicks. Those are the four. Uh, so not a lot of guys that can both run, pick, and roll for you and be a screener finishing at the basket. I, I just think P.J.'s versatility on defense, you talked about it. Offensively, he has his 43-point game against the Thunder, 31 in an overtime game earlier in the season against the Warriors. I, I'm super high on P.J. Washington. And if I'm the Hornets, I want to keep him, even though you draft Brandon Miller. I think those guys can play together and grow together and provide a ton of size and shot making, you know, in that front court of, alongside Mark Williams as your rim protecting center. Just a couple other guys to talk about here. Trey Lyles out of Sacramento. We saw him play some important small ball five minutes in the playoffs for the Kings. You know, we talked about Grant Williams earlier with that value in Sacramento. Trey Lyles kind of showed the versatility there and the importance in, in that type of role. And Jock Landale, Phoenix Sun Center. Dude's just rock solid, high effort guy. I think the Sun should bring him back. Um, mm-hmm. Either of those guys, you know, do you think they should be under the radar free agents for some contending teams? I think Landell is going to stay in Phoenix, as you said. Uh, Phoenix has every incentive to pay him yep. a lot of money, um, trade asset, or just they don't want to lose a guy who I'm not going to say he defended Jokic great in the playoffs, Nobody but <laughs> he was physical. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so just a big body. I don't think they can afford to lose him, and I, I do like his game. Uh, the other player, Trey Lyles looked like a hall of famer for stretches in that first round (laughs) series against the golden state warriors. I was a huge fan. He stunned me, frankly, with some of like his chops, the shot making, the like just going toe to toe with Draymond and small ball five units. I was like stunned when I was watching. Um, it would, I, I guess like it would actually be painful for him to leave Sacramento. I don't, I don't think they can afford to lose him, frankly. Like he was, he's awesome. Um, I don't know what his market is. I don't think teams are going to be throwing bags of cash at him, but in the role he had in Sacramento and what he showed in the playoffs, like awesome player all of a sudden. <laughs> It's going to be an interesting su- uh, summer here, Michael Pino. We got $136 million in salary cap. 165 million luxury tax. And then we get the first and second apron above that. A lot of teams don't have money. Still going to be trying to make sign and trades. A lot of teams with the mid-level that we talked about. And then those eight teams currently with salary cap space. I'm excited, man. I think this could be a fun summer. I'm not sure we'll get as many superstar trades as expected, but I think, you know, for the most part, um, if you're Denver right now and you're kind of seeing the landscape, how things are developing, I think if you're in the Nuggets, you're going to be feeling pretty good. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, almost whether or not they bring back Bruce Brown, although if they can somehow get him back, like odds on favorite, if everyone stays healthy, healthy to repeat as champions. Uh, really love that basketball team. I, one quick note, I just want to say, like, I think people really don't understand yet how impactful this new CBA is on the NBA, just based on the reaction I get from fans um, to hypothetical trades or (laughs) when I see actual trades that happen, just like how did team X only get that for player Y? And it's like the money is just so important right now. It really is. And teams are petrified of this new CBA and really wanting to avoid the second tax apron. Um, let alone the first tax apron, which nobody talks about, which is also a thing that can be restrictive. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw big money short-term deals, one, two-year contracts doled out to some of these players who will, it'll kind of blow your mind, I think, at the money you could see from someone like Grant Williams or Max Struess, one or two-year deal. Um, just something to keep an eye on as we go forward. Except for the Suns. They don't care. They're not worried about it. (laughs) (laughs) Blew right past it. Michael, thank you so much for joining me on Beyond the Arc. Thank you, homie.
Welcome back to Beyond the Arc. I asked you to submit some questions to me on Twitter to answer today on the show. To close, looking ahead to the offseason, let's start off with a question from Ben. Ben asked, if you were betting on it, what team does Dame start on next year? Portland Trailblazers. Let's just go with Portland. It feels like a, a, a marriage here that's unwilling to break up. They're not willing to go towards the divorce yet. They want to try to make things work. And like Michael Pina and I talked about earlier, I think their intentions are pure to try to improve the team around Damian Lillard. It's just going to be a matter of actually making that happen. But I could see them dragging things into the actual season and then figure things out then. A question here from Connor. What young team do you think is poised to make a jump this year and possibly vault themselves into the future contender conversation? Michael and I talked a bit earlier about the Utah Jazz and what they should do this offseason. To me, they're the team. I think what they did this offseason, you know, you got Walker Kessler already. You know, Lowry Markin is the most improved player of the year, but then the three rookies that they added. Taylor Hendricks in the lottery, he's a guy who, even though he's only a freshman out of college, he's ready to come in right away and be a rock-solid, high-IQ defensive player, 40% shooter from threes, just knows how to play within an offense. You bring him in alongside Keontae George out of Baylor, who I had ranked as a lottery pick. I toyed with with having him in my top 10 on my big board throughout the year. He brings you the energy as a scorer off the dribble that you need, and he has upside. He's trimmed some weight. I'll be curious to see how that affects him. But he's surrounded by length and versatility. That That's the key to what Michael and I talked about here. And I think Keontae George and then Bryce Sensabaugh, their late first-round draft pick as a go-to scoring guy, the, the infrastructure is there for Utah to have a good young team. We saw it last season where they were in the playoff conversation the entire first half of the year. I think this coming year, depending on what they do this offseason, or maybe even regardless of what they do, they're in a position to take another leap forward. And I am I am just, you know, honestly, like above all of all t- young teams in the league, besides San Antonio with Wemby or OKC with what they get going on, Utah is a team that I think could kind of, you know, thrust themselves in the top five, top six of the Eastern Conference this coming season. Let's move on to a question from Justin. Uh, this one was, you know, clearly made specifically for me. <laughs> what team would you like to see Killian Hayes on? The Suns? Uh, I mean, sad that it's gotten to this point for my guy Killian with the Detroit Pistons. I think he's a good example of a player, though, and we see this around the league all the time. These guys who don't work out until their second or their third team. Killian this last year with Detroit, he becomes a knockdown mid-range shooter, good defender, good passer. He just can't score from three he can't he can't score you know with great efficiency at the basket doesn't draw many fouls he's still a bit sluggish off the dribble but the flashes are there from mid-range we see him have a good middle of the season I think you know if you're a team like San Antonio you know bring him in and give him 20 25 minutes per game off the bench and see what he can do working with Victor Wembenyama a fellow Frenchman I, I think San Antonio I'd love to see a young team that can provide him minutes Give him an opportunity because even though Killian, you know, he's not going to become some superstar, I still have belief in him becoming somebody who can be a solid rotation guy because of his foundational skills as a good decision maker, as a passer, and because of his defense. He's six foot five, he has size. I hope somebody gives him an opportunity. Let's move on to the next question here. All right, we have a question here from Graham Shaw. He says, if Siakam won't commit to extending his contract with other teams, do the Raptors actually have any value blow-it-up options, or do they have to keep working the margins, hoping Scotty Barnes makes a leap? And yes, that last part of your question, Graham, you're not getting Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp for Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi. Portland's not doing that, unfortunately, for your sake. I think you're right on about the latter point, that they're going to have to continue working the margins here. With Siakam, maybe it's about timing, finding the right fit for him in a trade to a team that actually you know is willing to pay him big money and that he has interest in re-signing with. But I think at the uh, at, you're right though with Scotty Barnes, it's going to be about building a little slower here. If you can't find a good home for Pascal Siakam, Barnes obviously he wins Rookie of the Year. He's not quite his great. His second season didn't take the leap as expected. 
And maybe part of that is because of, you know, the presence of Pascal Siakam and OG and Anobi, where it's not, you know, an ideal fit for him. And then you have Jacob Pirtle now as a center, a non-shooting big. These guys at the wing position can, can make it work together. It can fit but it's not an ideal world for Scotty Barnes. You you want Scotty Barnes surrounded by shooters. That's why you draft Grady Dick. That's why I think you're going to see them pursue some shooters in free agency or through trade. So maybe for Pascal Siakam, it's less about, you know, a rebuild style trade for Scoot Henderson or, you know, a shade and sharp. And maybe it's more about finding a guy of, you know, near equivalent value or multiple players who are just better fits around what you have with Scotty Barnes. But I mean, it's a very interesting position for them. They drafted, they signed a developmental head coach from the Memphis Grizzlies. It's going to be interesting to see what that front office does this offseason. We have a last question here from all caps, not at Noski. Is Wemby's rookie season destined to disappoint everybody simply because he's being so hyped? The answer is possibly, you know, it's possible that he could disappoint if your expectations are that this guy comes in and he is a, you know, all NBA all-star right away. I think with Wembenyama though, there's no chance that he will disappoint except for injury because if you're setting realistic expectations for him, you know Wembenyama is going to come in and make be a major difference maker on defense for the Spurs. It'd be shocking if he isn't even better than expected now that he's surrounded by so much NBA caliber talent. And then offensively, I don't think you should be expecting him to be, you know, 20 point per game guy necessarily right away. He shot below 30% from three this past season overseas, you know, off the dribble. He's been good, but not great from mid range. So I think for him, this is a year where again, realistic expectations are it's about finding his place within an offense next to all that talent, Devin Vassell, Jeremy Sohan, Keldon Johnson, and we'll see what, what other additions San Antonio makes. With him, it's about, you know, finishing at the rim at 70 plus percent like he did overseas, improving as a screener. If those are your expectations, he's going to meet those. And maybe, you know, he figures out that three point shot this year and then he becomes a guy who is completely exceeding expectation if that becomes a knockdown thing for him. And I'm betting that he will, whether it's his rookie year or whether it's sometime in the near future. And with Wemby, you know, he's got the work ethic. He's got the mindset, and he also has the track record of improvements. You look back at his numbers and his shooting form the last two, three years, every year he gets better as a free-throw shooter. Every year he gets better from mid-range. I think it's only a matter of time until that three-point shot is a knockdown weapon for him, and he becomes one of the most unstoppable forces in all of the NBA. But as a rookie, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen right away. But it will happen eventually, and with Victor Wembenyama, I am very, very, very excited to watch him assume Assuming he does play in Las Vegas, we saw reports today that he is not going to be going to the California Classic with the San Antonio Spurs. He'll be making his first appearance with the team in Las Vegas at Summer League. We will be there. Beyond the Arc will be there. The Ringer will have a presence there. I am very excited to see you all in Vegas for the Summer League to watch all of these rookies. Thank you so much for watching today's episode. We'll be back next Thursday.